had an experience as you're standing last night. I got called out to Wilmington Hospital. And uh, I always hear my coworkers say that they got cussed out. I have never experienced that until last night. So in my working through talking with this, the lady, I ended up asking her if she was a praying woman. She said, yes, in a very loud, she had good lungs. And uh, then I said, well, what church do you go to? And she told me the name of her church. I said, I know you're a pastor. What would you like me to say to him about you? And then I was able to say to her, and she knows she's dying, and she's ready. She wanted to go home. She didn't want to die in the hospital on Mother's Day. So I got it. But I was so glad that that woman didn't say that she was a member of New Direction. <laughs> you know what? <clears throat> we, have an, we have a fantastic church. And I am honored to be the pastor of this church. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, don't embarrass me or the Lord in your pain. But turn with me in your copy of the Word of God to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And I want you to rest your eyes on verse number 5. Do you have it? All right, that's in the New Testament, page 1,000, verse 5, when I call to remembrance the genuine, the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your, in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, I am persuaded it is, it is in you also. Now turn to chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from a from your childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Lord, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are here today. And Lord, we need to hear, we need to hear a word from you. Father, we are so anticipatory that today you're going to say something to us that only you know to say. Meet us at the point of our need. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Several months ago, I purchased three 300 pieces. 300, I purchased three 300 piece puzzles. For one of my hospice patients, so I got three separate 300-piece puzzles. Got it? Mm. Try to say that three times. And I gave it to a patient who had indicated an interest in putting puzzles together. Needless to say, she was extremely excited and pleased about the gift. She could hardly wait to get started. Although I've never successfully put together a puzzle except the ones that had A, B, C, D on the back, one through 10, I guarantee you I've never put together a 300-piece puzzle. But I understand a few things about finishing puzzles. I know that every piece of the puzzle is essential. Every single piece is essential. If you lose one piece of the puzzle, you will never be able to completely complete that puzzle. 
Every piece of the puzzle has a place and a purpose. You must follow the, creator's de the creator of the puzzle's design in order to fit, fit each piece properly. The designer of the puzzle determines where each piece fits. After all, he created the puzzle. Even when you have the creator's design for the puzzle, you're looking at the box, you're following the model, it's still extremely difficult. I'm a perfect example of that. I've never been able to put a puzzle together. There are many distractions and details that can cause you to delay completing a puzzle and ultimately give up in disappointment. Many people give up putting their puzzle together before ever finishing. When I reflect on the excitement of my client, I realize her excitement was not solely based on the fact that she was going to have something to fill in her lonely moments. This woman was intending to make a statement to her family. She wanted to say that even beyond the grave, when you remember the mark that I made, the person who I was and always will be, my focus was not on dying, but on every moment of life I concentrated on living to make my life count. Like my patient, God has given every mother a puzzle. That puzzle includes your husband, your children, your extended family, friends, and yes, there's a piece of the puzzle with your name on it. The design that you must follow is found in the word of God. What does your puzzle look like? How do or how have you handled the assignment given by God to complete the puzzle of your life with each individual part? in such a way that your life makes a mark on the lives of others? Have you followed God's design for your puzzle? Mothers, God has placed you in the position that you have to uniquely complete your assignment in order that you, like a marksman, will hit your target. God wants you to make your mark. Amen. Tell somebody, make your mark. Come on now, make your mark. In Proverbs 31, verse 31, this is a powerful passage. And I want to be very deliberate because I believe that when things are not right at home, things will not be right anywhere else. And so mothers hold a crucial position in God's purpose for the world. Listen to Proverbs 31, verse 30, 31. Praise her for the many fine things she does. These good deeds of hers shall bring her honor and recognition from people of importance. This verse tells us that God says, your works, mothers, the things that you do are your legacy. What you do is your testimony. What you do is what brings the attention in terms of the praise and recognition that you rightfully by God's promise, will receive. Your works are your legacy. You make your lasting mark on the lives of others by what you do Amen. with each piece of the puzzle that God has entrusted to you. Now, in the scripture, there's at least two shining examples of, of women who decided, 
who made a decision that wasn't based on their emotions, not based on the circumstances of the time that they lived in, but they decided that God had entrusted, had given them the responsibility of raising a young man named Timothy. And they decided to be the kind of woman that is spoken of in Proverbs chapter 31, verse 31. A woman whose works would be their legacy. A woman whose work would be that which made a mark. What kind of mark are you leaving, mothers? What kind of mark are you leaving? Now listen at the words that the Apostle Paul, I've already read them in verses 5 through 7. I'm going to read, verses five, uh, I'm going to read these verses again. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelled first in your grandmother. Say grandmother. grandmother. Lois and your mother, Eunice. I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, stir up the gift that is within you. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Paul says, God has placed in your life, Timothy, the kind of women who made their mark. Now, here are, five, here are, here are six things, ladies, and I'm, going, I'm, going to, I'm not going to uh, dig deep on all of these. I want to keep this very simple because there's so many complicated messages and voices and difficulties out today calling on the attention of mothers in terms of what is, what is the role of a mother today? What is a mother to do? Well, let me share uh, six principles that I believe that will help you to make a difference, to be a person whose life will have an impact for time and eternity. First of all, the principle that I want to share is that you need to trust Christ as your Lord and your Savior. That's very simple, isn't it? Verse 5. The second principle is you need to think generationally. Say, think generationally. Thirdly, you need to, if you are going to make a mark, if you're going to hit the target, if you're going to leave a, light, live, leave a lasting impression, you need to be able to triumph over adversity. You need to be able to get over something. Thirdly, or fourthly, you need to teach the word. Teach the word. Mothers, you need to teach the word. One of the greatest regrets I have as a parent looking back I should have been more intentional. We could have been more intentional as parents in teaching the word of God to our children. And here's the fifth thing. You need to test the limits. Say, test the limits. Oh, that was weak. Test the limits. And finally, if you're going to make a mark, if you're going to be the kind of person who makes a significant difference and you're not going to be like handwriting on the sand but it engrafted print that lasts for time and eternity. You need to be the kind of person, mothers, that take authority over fear. You have to take authority over fear. Trust Christ as your Savior and your Lord. Paul says, I remember the genuine faith that is in you that, was, that first dwelled in your grandmother and in your mother. So the first thing that Paul identifies in the lives of these women who were given the task of raising Timothy, the pastor who was Paul's spiritual son and the recipient of the two books that are written with his name, First and Second Timothy, Paul says what was true of them is they had genuine, authentic, Real faith. Real faith, the Bible says even demons have faith. But theirs is not authentic, it's not real faith, because the faith of demons who tremble at the name of Jesus is not saving faith. Saving faith, the first part of it is, he says genuine faith involves taking Christ by faith, as one's savior. The scripture says, but as many as believed or received Christ, to them he gave the right to become the daughters and sons of God. So the first step that is true 
of, 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 of Lois and Eunice is that they place their, their faith in Jesus as Savior. That meant that when they died, they had the assurance that they would spend eternity in, hell, in heaven, not hell. Just making sure you listen. <laughs> Unfortunately, too many people, when it comes to a relationship with Christ, they look at it as fire insurance. As long as I trust in Christ as my Savior, I can continue to live however I want to. But Paul says in Romans chapter 7 or chapter 6, he says, God didn't save us from sin, missing the mark of God's perfect standard, which is recorded in the word, so that we could continue in sin. He says, may Ganoita, may it never be. We, Jesus saves us from sin so that we can live unto righteousness. And so the first thing that must be true is that a mother who makes a mark must trust Jesus as Savior, but you don't stop at the point of the cross for salvation. There's another step, because genuine saving faith involves trusting Christ as Lord as well. And the word Lord comes from the Greek word kyrios, which means ruler or master or controller. And Jesus makes reference to this in Luke, stay with, we're going somewhere. Luke chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus said, why do you call me Kyrios? Why do you refer to me as your master when you do not do the things that I say? And so genuine saving faith in the lives of mothers who make a difference is the kind of faith that places itself once it believes, once it trusts Christ, under the authority of Christ. It gives the reins, the control of your life. It transfers it from your hands to his hands. Yeah. Listen to what the scripture says. We're going to listen, listen to I like this one. John, 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. By this we know that we love, that we love the children of God. When we love God, we do what? We keep his commandments. We were not saved from sin under the lordship of Christ to continue to live the way we used to be. The Bible says such were some of you, but you have been saved. You have been set apart. Somebody say amen. amen. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments for those who are under the authority of Christ, yielded to the Holy Spirit, are not burdensome. To the spirit, the flesh, the spirit, the Bible says the spirit is what? Willing, but the flesh. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith, our saving faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. Here's the proof that Lois and Eunice not only trusted Christ as Savior, but also acknowledged him as their Lord by placing themselves under the authority of the word of God was the, was the evidence that was demonstrated in the life of Timothy. Timothy watched the, the women in his life live for Christ, and Paul says, the faith, the genuine faith that they have, I see it in you too. And so when, when Christ is Lord, there will be evidence. The Bible says you shall know them by their fruit. And when the fruit of the Lord is on display, it will cause others to see your good works, which are empowered by not our own flesh, but the Holy Spirit. And when they see the Spirit of God producing the work of God based on the Word of God, they will be caused to worship God because it is Him that is on display through you. And so the woman who makes her mark says, I'm not just joining the church, I'm just not just going to be religious and sing Christian songs. But I am going to sell out and surrender my life to Christ. And as I am yielded to him, as my curios, my children and my sphere of influence will be impacted by my genuine faith. Some of you may have heard this, 
There were women who couldn't have children. And so they went to a fertility doctor for artificial insemination. You go look that word up when you get a minute. <laughs> and I'm sure you, most of you know what that is. In order to have that procedure done, you have to, they, they examine you for psychological problems. And so there's a lot of money involved. And then when you finally agree and you, you find a match, you look at a profile, this is the kind of a child I would like if he, you got blonde hair and blue eyes, you don't want a child with red hair and brown eyes. So you make a decision to, to get a, based on the profile, the kind of it, this, the, the insemination that you want, and then you pay out this big money to the, to the, the fertilization doctor, and then, uh, the process, you're inseminated, and over months, you get the, the woman is pregnant and ultimately has a child. And they all celebrate until one day they have a reunion, and they all discover that all the children look just alike. And they're scratching their head, there's 50 of them, in this, in this, and they're celebrating it. And they say, wait a minute, he looks like Dr. So-and-so. So what the doctor was doing... <laughs> with all the money he was being given, is taking his seed and fertilizing artificially the wound of these women. And what they had picked out in terms of their profile, they couldn't get because what they were asking for wasn't a genuine article. They had 50 of this guy staring them in the face. And now he's staring 50 lawsuits. But my point is, if you are not the genuine article, you can't produce a genuine product. A copy, a, 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 a copy cannot produce an original. And so what God does when you are surrendered to him and your faith is genuine, you have trusted in the finished work of Christ and you're living under his divine authority, God can take you who he made as an original and somehow through the life that you're living before your children and your family, you, you don't produce a copy. They become originals because the same Holy Spirit who saved you gives that person the DNA of God and now God is living in them. But you can't produce what you're not. You can't produce what you're not. We used to say to children, my, my parents would say, don't do as I do. Do as I say do. That don't work no more. So when you take that, you take the truth of the word of God, and you hear it, and you jump, and you kick, and you slide, and oh, hallelujah, and you go home and live like the devil. I want you to know the mark that you make is a blurred mark. It don't look like your signature, not the one that you signed at church. So the first thing is, trust in Christ as Lord and Savior. Second thing is, think generationally. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22, a good person leaves an inheritance for his children, but the wealth of a sinner is stored up for the righteous. I used to think that it was a child's responsibility to make sure that when his parents, and this adds in there too, but the Bible says a, a godly person leaves an inheritance for his children and his, their children's children. We're thinking today about generations that follow. And so when you look at the scriptures regarding Lois and Eunice, this was a, this was a grandmother and a mother who was sharing with a son, who, and the son became a generational discipler. When you read in, 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 in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul talks about, Timothy, you take what I taught you, and you pass it on to other faithful men. And so now what we see is a mother who's not just thinking about how I feel today. I think I'm going to leave. I think I ain't going to do this. I think I'm going to tell you a piece of my mind. I think, no, no. A mother who is controlled by the Spirit of God is thinking three and four generations beyond her current situation. What you do doesn't just impact today. It impacts your generation. And so what, you're, what you are modeling before your Timothy, you may be a grandmother, and a lot of grandmothers are raising their children's children. You may be in the role of a Lois, 
You may be in a role of a eunuch, and we're going to talk a little bit more about the uniqueness of her struggle and, and, and what she could have given into. But you need to be thinking, if you want to make a mark, it's not about how dark it is today, how difficult it is today, and, and, and I don't need to take this anymore. Don't you understand? I'm, I'm, I, I work as hard as anybody. I need a break, too. But when you take that break, if it's at the expense of your children today, it may have generational consequences. Would you encourage your son or your daughter to marry somebody like you? Would you want them to reproduce in their marriage what they've seen in you? When you think generationally, sometimes you have to win the battle, you lose the battle to win a war, because you're thinking beyond this current stress, this current conflict. There's more involved. Jesus said that the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I'm saying, if he kills you and destroys you, what else is there? So he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So after you did, then what? There's still your generation. The devil is not, he doesn't put a victory sign until it's messed with your third and fourth generation. And so as a mother, are you thinking when you make decisions, when you're modeling behaviors, are you thinking beyond what's going to happen when that child is out of your, under, under your roof? What are they going to reproduce in their children? And what they do with their children based on the model that you set. How do we learn how to be parents? From the people who have parented us. That's why we need the word of God. Somebody say amen. amen. Godly people blessed beyond the grave. Godly mothers must be intentional. In Judges chapter 2, verse 10, it says when the generation of Joshua died, the, the children that followed Joshua's generation did not know God and the miracles that he wrought. Mothers, have you told your children how God brought you through? Have you told them about how good God has been? Did you explain to them it's not your college degree? Did you explain to them it wasn't your looks? Did you explain to them that it wasn't your intelligence? Did you explain to them how when you cried out to God in the midnight hour, when you felt like you were about to give out, God heard your cry and he stepped in and he relieved you not of your pain, but he relieved you of the defeated spirit and he told you, hold on. We are raising a generation, and it's a scary thing. People that are caring for folks at the end of their lives that don't have a heart for people. We're raising people, kids who have more than we ever imagined having, but what they lack is a heart. What they lack is wisdom. What they are missing after they after they survive a plane crash. Nobody's saying, I thank God, because we haven't taught them. We don't bring them to church. We don't pray with them. Yeah, my mama prayed for me, but are you praying for your children? Think generationally. This is not just about you. Women were asked if they had to raise their children over again, what would they do differently? And one of the responses was, I would have been a lot more intentional. Sometimes we say, if we just get them to church, no, that's not enough. Holiness don't rub off. Your germs will, but God, godliness will not. You would be less stressed. You pull out your hair, popping pills. We live in an opioid-dependent generation. It's a, there's a drug epidemic. And you don't know it because most of the people that are doing them, now the government is paying for it because it's not restricted to minorities. But these are functional drug addicts. And they, they're home, but they're not home. There's nobody there. And so their children are literally raising themselves. On, on, on the treadmill of life, going to daycare, going to school, staying, and it's just nobody's raising their children anymore. Think generationally, godly parents do. Here's another thing that parents would do. They would be more encouraging, more flexible, more fun. Take yourself less seriously, while at the same time being intentional. 
I blinked, and all my children are adults. It goes so fast. It goes so fast. Man, when I can finally get rid of these kids, and I can't wait to have my freedom and my life back and get my figure back. It ain't coming. But it's all, all that, right? So, and now they're gone. And your opportunity to make your mark may be gone. Think triumphantly. Say triumphantly. We're moving on. In Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 3, then they came to Derbe and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there. His name was Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but, but his father was Greek. Say Greek. Greek. He was well spoken by, he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra of Iconium. Paul wanted to have him to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because, he was a, because of the Jews who were in the region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. Three things. Eunice could have caved in under adversity. The Bible says she was a Jew, and she married a Greek. And the Bible also says she was a believer, married to an unbeliever. So now you've got light and dark, righteousness and unrighteousness. And so you have, you have an, she, so she has an unequally yoked marriage. She is a Jew in a predominantly Greek-run society. Rome was the predominant uh, political power. She's a woman who's looked at as a third-class citizen. And then by the time Paul meets Timothy and chooses him to become a part of his evangelistic church planning team, there's no mention of of Eunice's husband. And so theologians believe two, one of two things, that she, he either divorced her or he died. So now she's a single parent. And so she doesn't have the income of her husband. And back then, if a woman didn't have a man in her life or extended family that was taking her, she was in poverty. She was a public source of uh, criticism and humiliation. With, with being a woman, a woman not as important as a man, and all those kinds of thoughts back in this time. And she had every reason to say, you know what? I shouldn't be divorced. I gave this man everything I had. And I know I, I, when I got married, I married as a Jew to a Jew, Gentile. If I had it to do again, I wouldn't do it. But instead of her using her adversities as an excuse to fail to do the call that God had on her life, she overcame her triumph. Too many women, I'm all for me too, but if me too makes you a victim and not a, a conqueror, then I ain't for no me too. Because the Bible says you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus, and if God is for you, he's more than they that are against you. So I know your past has scarred you, but you are not a victim of your past. You are a victor in the future because the God who protected you from what should have destroyed you was using that to cause it to work together for your own good. You ought to be like Joseph. Joseph said, yeah, you did it. I'm not going to pretend it didn't happen. Yeah, I didn't like it. Yes, it hurt. But what you intended for evil. God meant it for good. He put me in this place through all of my pain, through all of my losses, through all of my adversities to save a nation. Your testimony based on what you have experienced, the hurts and the wounds may be the very thing that God wants to do to save an entire generation. But if you're walking around mad at the world, I'll get them now. I'll show them I ain't taking it no more. What you have done is put yourself in a position where God cannot get the glory out of what he allowed you to overcome. Somebody say, I'm an overcomer. I'm an overcomer. I'm a victor in Christ. I'm not a victim. I'm not walking around feeling sorry for myself. Yes, I have a cross to bear, but the cross that God gave me, I find that I can do all things through Christ, who is who? He's my strength. 
You got to triumph over stuff. First time something happens in your relationship and marriage, you want to quit. You want to get crazy. You want to start going to blows and breaking stuff. The stuff you broke, you pay for it. Now you don't have it anymore. Well, I don't like the way the landlord talked to me. I ain't paying rent this month. I don't have to do it. He wants to respect me. If I was a man, he wouldn't treat me this way. Well, if you don't pay your rent, I don't care who you are, you're going to be evicted. You must triumph over adversities. I don't know what you went through. I don't know who you trusted and they hurt you. I don't know. Back in the day, we didn't have the right to respond. If our parents told us to do something, we shut up and took it. And they sometimes were wrong as four left shoes. You need to triumph over adversity. You need to teach the word. In verses 14 and 15 of chapter 3, we already read that. Paul says, knowing from whom you have learned them, the scriptures, that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ. Lois and Eunice taught Timothy the word of God. That's the only thing that's going to deal with your rascal kid. I know he look all cute dressed up for Sunday. But the Bible says, David said, behold, I was shaped in iniquity and in sin that my mother conceived. We're naughty by nature. We got to, well, you don't have to teach no kid how to sin. We just know. We're experts at it. But he, the Bible says that Timothy, he was taught the word of God by his mother and grandmother as a child. He knew from person. Here's the thing. Not only was he taught, but he learned how to apply the word and saw that it worked for himself. That's the dream of every parent is to see their child not only in church, but taking the Bible that they were taught. And now they're talking about the scriptures and they're doing what God's word says and they see that it works. He remembered his mother and grandmother taught him the word of God. But you can't teach what you don't know. And here it gets even deeper than that. You can't teach. You can know it, but if you don't believe it. Well, I ain't know I don't believe it. I quote it. I taught it. Because you don't do it. The Bible says faith without works is what? It's dead. It's not true faith. And the more, here, if you want to know how, where you are spiritually and how, I don't care how big your head is, I don't care how many degrees behind your name, I don't care how many people carry the train of your, gro- your robe or how large your entourage is, my question is, how have you taken the word of God into your own life and it changed you and now you look like Jesus? You need to believe the word. Some of you need to never leave church. You need to just make a bed up and let somebody teach you how to teach your children what thus saith the Lord. The Bible says train up a child in the way that he or she should go. And when they are old, when you teach them the word and they apply it and see that it works, they may stray from the scriptures, but they won't depart from the scriptures. Oh, the greatest blessing. You put all those years and that money into raising your children and then see them go and live like heathens. That's not what a parent's dream is. But guess what? This doesn't happen by accident. Oh, I brought them to church. I read, I read now I lay me down to sleep. If I die before I wake. What? What? And here you are, you in the gym every day, you, you got all your food laid out, and you're going to live to be 100 years old. You'll live long enough to regret that you had those little rascals because you never taught them the word. Oh, you didn't try cussing them and threatening them. Don't you know I hurt you and all that? I want you to try the word. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the dividing 
asunder of the sword, the soul, and the spirit. That's what the word will do. It will never return unto God void. It will always, somebody say always, every time it goes forth, the word works. The word, say it works. Come on, Trey, it works. You don't believe? It works. The word, the word, the word, it works. It works. It works. Teach them the word. Triumph over your adversity. Here's number five. Test the limits. He says, therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift that is within you, that through the laying of my hands, this gift was confirmed. God gives the gift. He can use your spiritual father or your spiritual whoever that to lay hands on you to activate what you don't know you have. Now, what Paul says to Timothy is a, is a principle for all of us. All Christians have a spiritual, at least one spiritual gift. And so here's how mothers test the limits. But first of all, you need to know what your gift is. You can't test the limit if you don't know where the track is. You're getting ready to run some laps. You don't even know where the, the gym is. Know your gift. Test the limits by using your gift. Are you using your spiritual gift? You've been equipped to do the work of the ministry that you may be fully developed in the Lord. Mothers test the limits by stirring up the gift that's in them, cultivating. Some of you should have been in college 15 years ago. There are other things that God told you to do. You're waiting for somebody to give you permission for what God already told you to do. You ought to be testing the limits. Your children ought to see you. Yeah, you're a mother, but that ain't all you are. Amen. You were somebody before you had them, and when they're gone, gone, they start their family, and they ain't calling you, and they should be doing their own thing as long as it's in the Lord. You need to have a life. You need to be pursuing what God has placed on your soul to do. You ought to have a burden in your heart to become everything that God placed you on this planet to be. Are you reaching your full potential in Christ? Are you testing the limits? Are you just comfortable with being comfortable? Because a lot of Christians, your highest expectation of God is routine. I just hope church don't last too long. I hope they don't sing too many songs. I know they got other things to do. I sure do. My steak is on the grill. and I don't want that thing to burn up. I want you to know that as you test the limits, he is able to do beyond and above anything that we can even think or comprehend to say if we would simply stretch out, stretch out on him. Are you reaching your full potential, ladies? Are you testing the limits? Are you just going through the most? I just, I'll be retired soon. I just can't wait until a couple more years. Get my, that ain't no life. That's existing. He's just in the revolving door. Here we go. There we go. There we go. Yeah. Test the limit. Put the treadmill on three miles an hour or four. Go a little further. Drive a different way. Sit. I mean, real get, get real. get real risky here. Sit on a different side of the church. You, it, the world will, may, may not be flat after all. Now, when... Former President George Bush decided at age 90, I think, to test the limits, got in a plane, and he parachuted out of a plane. You don't have to do that to test the limits. God ain't calling me to do that. But some of you won't even get on a plane. The Lord said, lo, I am with you always. He didn't say hi. Test the limits. I'm too old for that. Really? Really? I, I, are, are you really? Or are you just giving in? I don't want to be around people that aren't, aren't willing to try something. People that are just a, a boring, put you to sleep. 
No conversation. Nothing that, what is, I said, what is God doing in your life? Well, last year, last year? <laughs> Jesus. Test the limits. And finally, take authority over your fear. This is one of the greatest hindrances to women. Well, it's dark. I can't do it. Well, I might have an accident. Well, I might run out of gas if I go four miles, even though you got a full tank of gas. <laughs> well, if I send my application, they probably will reject it because they'll see that I don't have a lot of experience. That's not the point. Send it. If you know, the only reason you shouldn't, you shouldn't be keeping, you shouldn't be resisting or, or limiting yourself because you're afraid. That's what you need to be asking yourself. Why am I not trying that? And if you honestly can say, you know what, I'm afraid. I won't stand up here because people might not clap. They clap for Pastor Benson, they ain't going to clap for me. I ain't standing up there. Well, if you're standing up there for applause, stay yourself right in the seat. Keep your seat, keep yourself seated. Take authority over fear. A teenage girl was embarrassed by her mother. Her mother had severely disfigured arms and hands. They went into a grocery store, and she didn't want to go out in public with her mother, but she didn't have a choice. They went to the grocery store. They get to the checkout line, and the mother reaches in the pocketbook, and she takes out her money, and the hand doesn't fully reach, and the hand is so disfigured and, and un, uh, unappealing just that the cashier turned her head in horror. And when the daughter of this mother saw it, she just dashed out of the store. She was just so embarrassed. Why would you embarrass me? So I, I can't believe it. And your hands are just terrible, and they're ugly. And, and then the mother goes out of the store. She finds the girl, teenager. And she says, she sits her in the car. She had never told her what happened. She said, well, one night while we were sleeping, your father had left us long before. There was a fire. And I was near the front door, and I could have easily just walked out of the door. And I saw that in front of your room that the fire had already engulfed the, the doorway into your room. The fire was everywhere going back into the house. But she said, the thought of leaving you there she said, I would rather die than to be alive and you not be with me. So she said, I went back into the fire. My arms caught fire. And I grabbed you somehow and put you in my arms. And I ran outside, and I was in excruciating pain. All I could do when I got out of the fire is fall to the ground and release you. And she said, I was screaming until I looked at you, and I saw that you didn't have a single burn. And she said, my tears went from agonizing pain to rejoicing. And when this little girl heard with her mother how she didn't give in to her fears, didn't give in to the potential consequences, was willing to risk, that's what a mother will do. A mother will risk her own life for what she loves. A mother will forget about how my knees are shaking and I don't think I'm going to make it, but I, I, I just got to do what is necessary to make sure my child makes it. She said when, when the daughter heard her say that, she began to kiss her mother's arms and to embrace her because she understood. Her mother had every reason to not go back in there. She, she knew she was going to get burned. Sometimes when you trust in the Lord to do something different, the wall may look too tall. You may see other people fall trying. You may have fallen before and it hurt. You may have been in a relationship and your heart was broken and you don't want to try again because you're afraid. You don't want to feel the pain. But I hear the Lord saying, I have not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And if it hurts, I'm going to run anyway. If it makes me think twice, I'm going to run anyway. I'm not going to give in. to fear. I'm not giving in. I'm not going to give in. Let me finish with this. The spirit of fear attacks the anointing of God on your life. That's what fear is coming against your gifts. That's what the word here means, anoint. It also attacks the assignment. You will never finish the puzzle if you keep giving in the fear. 
And the spirit of fear attacks the authority of God in your life and through your life. You have power over demonic spirits. You have power over sickness. But when you're trembling and not moving, when God says go, you have now relinquished the authority of God and given it into the hands of the enemy. Somebody say amen. amen. Make your mark, ladies. Make your mark. Think generationally. Trust in Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. Teach the word of God. Somebody say, teach the word of God. Test the limits. Take authority over your fears. Triumph over adversity. Stand with me. I just have to read this. I thought this was good. My mother taught me religion. When I spilled grape juice on the carpet, she instructed me, you better pray that this stain will come out of this carpet. <laughs> My mother taught me logic from her decisive words. Because I said so, that's why. My mother taught me foresight. Make sure you wear clean underwear, boy, in case you're in an accident. <laughs> My mother taught me irony. Keep laughing, and I'll give you something to cry about. <laughs> My mother taught me about stamina. You'll sit there till all the spinach is finished. My mother taught me about weather. It looks like it's a tornado in your room. My mother taught me about the circle of life. I brought you into this world, and I can take you out. My, ta my mother taught me about behavior modification. Stop acting like your father. My mother finally taught me about envy. There are millions of less fortunate children in this world who don't have a mother as wonderful as I do, like you. Mothers, make your mark. Let's pray.